You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I am host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Pretty quiet around Kansas City this week as we eagerly await the NFL draft and everything that's going to come with it here in Kansas City, but a few things to get you caught up on from this week. So we'll start things off with Vichy's and Rocky Magana and Price Carter. Spend some time grading the mock drafts. Uh, you know, there's obviously hundreds of mock drafts out there right now trying to project what every NFL team is going to do. They picked a handful of their favorites and discussed what those mock drafts looked like, if they were realistic, and if they were favorable for the Kansas City Chiefs. After that, we're going to catch up with the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show. Pete and John just discussed all the latest Chiefs news and notes from this past week, everything you need to know about your Kansas City Chiefs. After that, we're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, we'll wrap things up with the Arrowhead Pride Draft Room, just discussing more positions the Chiefs could be interested in the upcoming NFL Draft. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. We're going to try something out here that we call uh, grading the mocks, where we're going to look at various different mock drafts that um, people have done for the NFL and see where they've mocked the Chiefs and kind of just uh, give them an overall grade and some feedback on what we think of their idea of where the Chiefs are going to go in these mock drafts. So uh, the first one we have up is the uh, 33rd team's mock draft um, over here. What do you think about it, Price? Uh, what's your uh, what's your initial take on the thirty third team's mock? I'll let you break to the to the listeners who they have the Chiefs going with. Yeah, so I think I think one thing to remember about mock drafts is the goal here is not to be right. It is not. It is. To, it is an exercise to show how things can go differently. I think back two years ago to the drafts where Justin Fields fell outside of the top ten. Everyone could not believe that. Like Justin Fields was, you know, everyone think, was thinking top five. It happens every year. There's some moves that happen in the draft that surprise some teams, whether it be trades, whether it be players shooting up the boards, falling down the boards. Maybe they smoke some marijuana with a gas mask on. Who knows? But uh, this one was probably one of the more interesting ones that we had here. Um, this one had some volatility to it. Uh, you've got the Colts trading up to one. Uh, to take Anthony Richardson, which taking Anthony Richardson at one was pretty surprising to me in itself, given most people think that that's going to be Young or Stroud. Um, then, it, then it's a little chalky here in the mid-rounds. Then we get Dalton Kincaid at 15 to the Packers, which I thought was interesting as well. Uh, Darnell Wright all the way up at 17 to the Steelers. That's pretty high for him. Bijan goes 18 to the Lions. Uh, and obviously, the 33rd team, you can go look this mock-up on their uh, stuff on their website. We want to give them credit as well. Jalen Hyatt up at 21. So at pick 31, where the Chiefs are selecting, they take Jackson Smith and Jigba. 
And I, you know, as far as like what I would feel for the Chiefs for this, I would be elated. I, I that's fantastic. This is this is the mock that like if I can push this button to be true, it absolutely is. I personally think this one's a little unrealistic. Um, they've got Miles Murphy going to the Saints right before them. Anton Harrison. There's quite a few wide receivers. They have both Josh Downs and Jalen Hyatt going in front of Jackson Smith and Jigba. And they have Trenton Simpson, a linebacker, going to the Giants. I understand the Giants have a real need there. They've also got two tight ends. They've got Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid. And some of the more in-the-know mocks recently have Brian Branch kind of fallen outside of the first round, surprisingly enough. I just I think this one is a little too optimistic, a little too rosy for me. I would love it. I absolutely would love it. But that's my take. Well, and looking at it, too, they have uh, Zay Flowers going number 46 after the Chiefs, you know, still on the board in the – and I, I mean the elect, the electricity that Zay Flowers plays with. I almost think that as reliable as Jackson Smith and Jigba is, if Zay Flowers is there, they they take a shot there instead. But then also looking at some other positions, yeah, BJ BJ Ojolari is still on the board. You have um, you have as well as you have uh, Will McDonald the fourth, Nolan Smith still on the board. I mean, there's a lot of guys here who who are generally. Uh, projected or selected and a lot of mock drafts before 31 that are still on the board here, which Jackson Smith and Jigba is as well. So this is, I will give this to the 33rd team. I think it's probably one of the more outside the box thinking mock drafts that you will find as far as they stand by their own scouting reports on these. And this is based on their own player rankings, their own, you know, assessment of each player. Um, it's, it's different. It's different than the other mock drafts that you're going to see out there. Um, overall, what grade would you give it? I'm going to go with a, like a C minus maybe. Uh, I love the player, love the player, the overall mock, as far as accuracy goes and what I think will happen in reality, I'm going to give a C they've got a, you know, they've got several wide receivers going above JSN. They've got a linebacker in the first round. Anthony Richardson at one. I know that that doesn't really impact the Chiefs a whole lot, but I don't think he's. I don't think you're moving up to one to take Anthony Richardson. I think that's more of the Cardinal spot if you're in love with Anthony Richardson. I think. I think I'm a hundred percent on board with you. I think uh, a C or a C minus is kind of about where I fall on that one. Okay, moving on to the next draft, we have CBS's own Chris Trapasso came out with a mock draft this week as well um, in his mock draft. He has, he has the uh, uh, the Chiefs going with Will McDonald the fourth at his um, at, at number thirty one. Um, this I you, I you I think this is kind of the uh, trendy pick for the Chiefs at the moment. You see this in a lot of in a lot of mock drafts that a lot of people think that the Chiefs are going to go with Will McDonald the fourth. I think I think part of that is that the Chiefs need edge help. And as the board starts to fall, you start to look at it and you say, okay, well, what what guy can come in and kind of have instantaneous production? What guy has shown good production um, comes from a major power five division? And that's that's Will McDonald. He's 6'4", 239, so he's not the biggest guy. But he's, he's, he's produced in his time at Iowa State, and he's got a lot of juice. He's got a complete rush package. I don't hate Will McDonald. Is he the guy that I would probably take first as an edge rusher? Probably not. But if that's the name that gets called at the, on the first at the end of the first round of the draft, I'm not going to be you know, you know, hemming and hawing about it either. 
Yeah, this, this one's a little unique here. We've got four quarterbacks in this first round. Hinton Hooker goes Vikings at 23. You've got three tight ends, Kincaid, Washington, and Mayer all go, and two running backs, Gibbs and Bijan, both go in the first round here. So if I told you that mock was here and you had all those positions being taken in front of the Chiefs, you're thinking, oh, this is a great outcome for the Chiefs. There's also an interior offensive lineman taken here as well in the first round which not a lot of them have. Joe Tittman is going to the Giants in this mock. So you're, you're getting pretty excited. I feel like coming away with Will McDonald in this instance is a little bit of a disappointment. I like Will McDonald, and I think he can do some great things for the Chiefs. I'm not sure how I like him at 31, given the Chiefs situation. Jordan Addison would probably be the player I'm picking here, looking at what's on the board. He's not gone in this. Uh, you've got Zay Flowers off the board. You've got JSN off the board. You've gotten Quentin Johnston off the board here. But... Um, yeah, this one's a little surprising to me. I, I actually like the draft as far as how it looks overall, and I think that there's some good players in it. And I think, yeah, that, the, I'm sorry, I, go ahead. I, I, I think it's realistic. Um, however, I, I don't necessarily love the Chiefs pick. I'll give this one a B. I, I think it's a good. I think it's a good mock. I think it's a good a good example of how things can fall and teams can fall in love with someone. I'd be shocked if Gibbs went in the first. I'd be shocked if Gibbs went in the first. Two, Gibbs went in the first two. I would honestly be shocked if Darnell Wright went in the first. He is rising up draft boards a lot. A lot of players really like him. Um, Hendon Hooker is another guy that's been rising up draft boards. He's a great, great quarterback, but he's he's, he's coming back from an injury. So he's, his whole entire rookie year is going to be a redshirt season. And I believe he's already 25 years old. Um, the thing that strikes me when I look at this is Paris Johnson Jr. is still on the board when the Chiefs select and they have him going with Will McDonald. It, as much as I like Will McDonald, if Paris Johnson Jr. is on the board when the Chiefs draft and they don't take him, I, I'm taking back everything I just said. I am definitely poo-pooing this pick and being pissed off. Yeah. Um, honestly, Paris Johnson in the first is usually so chalked that I wasn't even looking at that. You know, I'd seen Darnell Wright go off the board, but yeah, that's, that's almost like did he forget. Like, did he forget the name? He's got Kansi going to Steelers. I mean, yeah, if if Paris Johnson does not go in the first, he's 30, you know, the, the first pick of the second round, right? That that That's surprising to me. Good eye on you for catching that. Yeah, I'm absolutely running to put in Paris Johnson. I get the wide receiver needs, but if Jawan Taylor at right tackle is your, like, weakest offensive lineman or Paris Johnson as a rookie is your weakest offensive lineman, you're in tremendous shape. You know what? Maybe maybe they can just run the ball into oblivion and just throw the ball to Travis Kelsey when they need to. So, um, yeah, that that one's a little surprising. I'm not I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, I think I think they may have forgotten about Paris Johnson Jr. He got deleted off the spreadsheet or something like that. All right, our next our next one up is PFF over at Pro Football Focus. I'd like to give them the uh, the props that they deserve. Um, they have the uh, Chiefs going with the local guy. Um, FAU out of out of uh, out of Kansas State. Talk to me about this uh, this mock draft and what you think about it. Well, I love the FAU pick, right? Philatan DK Uzama. He's a guy that I don't think K State necessarily did a ton of favors for as far as a pass rusher. The way that they had him lined up a lot of times, it wasn't the most effective use of his skill set. So I he's a player that I would love for the Chiefs. And at pick thirty one, I feel like that's great value. I feel like that's right about. You know, I know he's risen up boards more recently. Absolutely don't have a problem with them taking him at that pick. Uh, just kind of looking at the mock as a whole. Um, this one, 
this one honestly feels pretty consensus, pretty chalky as far as that goes. You know, you've got your one running back. You've got uh, what's like Jordan Addison goes on this mock. Um, I'm looking here. Depending on how you feel about the player, I don't see Zay Flowers off the board at this point. Uh, the Texans go with Quentin Johnson. That's a pretty popular pick to him. JSN went to the Titans. Um, Kalijah Cansey all the way up at 10. It's fun to see how how wide the spectrum is for him. But yeah, I I, I think that this it in you know to kind of bring it back to the point that the Chiefs have DeAndre Hopkins. This this feels amazing to get uh, FAU at 31 because of the upside of that line and the youth and the agility going into thinking about what Carl Aftis is in year two. Chris Jones, Amenahu, FAU, and then if they bring back with Carlos Dunlap or uh, Frank Clark, like there's some real reasons to get excited about that pass rush. Well, yeah, and I think that the good thing about that Felix Anaduke Uzoma offers that maybe Will McDonald doesn't is that even though he's only about 13 pounds heavier at, at 255 pounds, it's enough that as he continues to fill out his body, he's only 21, just, just turned 21 years old. As his body continues to fill out a little bit, he will have some of that outside-inside versatility that the Chiefs like to have. Um, and you just love the athletic profile on him. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think that the way with the way that this uh, this mock draft fell, I don't think I could uh, could have found could would have taken anybody different than FAU here, um, especially with Anton Harrison already being off the board here, since you see him on the board a lot of times. Um, I, I, I'd give this, I'd give this, uh, this mock draft a B plus in my opinion. Same, same for me. Uh, last one is one of the, the fathers of the mock draft, Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft is really interesting too, because he's partially telling you what he's hearing, partially telling you what he thinks will happen. Um, so most of this is fairly kind of chalk up at the top 10, you know, uh, Raiders end up with Tyree Wilson. They don't go quarterback. Uh, Peter Skaronsky is the first offensive lineman off the board to the Bears. That makes some sense. They don't know exactly what they have at their tackle positions full-time yet. Skaronsky could kick inside. You've got Van Ness going to the Eagles at 10. Jackson Smith and Jigba is becoming a popular pick of the Titans at 11. Uh, Texans take Miles Murphy, just kind of a good floor player. Nolan Smith just continues to creep up. I've seen him as high as 10. He's going to the Jets here at 13. The Patriots like B. John Robinson. Paris Johnson goes to the Packers at 15. Go scroll down here a little bit to kind of where the Chiefs are existing. You've got Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers going in back-to-back picks to the Seahawks and Chargers. That hurts the Chiefs. We've got another Hendon Hooker at pick 23 to the Vikings. Please let that happen. Great news for the Chiefs. Just another good player following. Uh, here's kind of an interesting realm here. Please do not let this happen. If this happens, if he falls, I would absolutely move up to try to get this to happen. So the Giants take Joe Tipman at 25, then Massey Smith at 26 to the Dol- uh, to the Cowboys, which surprises me. Then the Buffalo Bills get Quentin Johnston at pick 27. If if he's falling in that realm, like I think to me, if you are at the Vikings pick and Quentin Johnston is there, you start considering like the Vikings are a team that likes to trade up anyway, especially if they're thinking about taking Hayden Hooker. There's not a lot of teams in this next wave that need a quarterback. 23 is a natural trade-up spot if you wanted to go get Quentin Johnson. Maybe he's not your type of guy. It's a little bit different than what the Chiefs usually run out there. But at the end of the draft, the Chiefs do take Will McDonald again. So this has been a popular choice. Uh, FAU and Will McDonald. FAU goes one pick before the Chiefs. He goes to the Eagles. They kind of keep their pass rush factory up and going. Overall, you know, I would give this a, a, an A or a B plus. I like the pick. Um, you know, we've already kind of broken down McDonald. My big thing is just like, 
if you're if you're in on Quentin Johnson following this far, and especially Jordan Addison going in front of him, I would have loved to see the Chiefs make a move up to go get him. A hundred percent. If 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 Quentin Johnson is falling this far, then I think that your your yeah your whole draft plan is to is to go get him. Find whatever team you have to do to get in front of twenty seven. Is it the Dallas Cowboys? You know, because there's a good chance Mozzie Smith is still there at thirty one. If you're the Dallas Cowboys, and that's and that is who you have your heart set on, you know, um, you know, is it is it your old friend the Jacksonville Jaguars? Are they at twenty four? Are they willing to play ball? I think that you you pick up the phone and you start just seeing who can you what can you do to get in front of the Buffalo Bills if you think that, that that's the person who's gonna who's gonna select them before you. Um, I'm I'm with you. I would say I give this a uh, an A minus. As well, the interesting thing is, will on this one, will Levis slides all the way down to nineteen? Uh, Daniel Jeremiah does hedge his bets here, though, and say that that he thinks that Tampa is actually going to trade up to get him, and so he just thinks that at the end of the day, Will Levis is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. Boy, Baker Mayfield uh, leadership quarterback to tu- to tutor the new rookie just this sounds like a treat. Like I cannot wait for the the storylines to come out of that. And as somebody who lives in Tampa Bay, there is an enormous party culture in this city. Uh, Baker Mayfield will love it here. Will Baker Mayfield be successful here? Well, this isn't Cleveland. That's all I'm going to say, right? You know, we have an entire festival here in Tampa called Gasparilla that celebrates a time where pirates were going to invade the city. And the mayor of the city came out and said, don't invade the city. We have a bunch of rum. Let's all get drunk instead. And it saved the city. Like, like there's an entire city festival dedicated to drunken pirates. I wish they would have done that before uh, Super Bowl 55. That would have been way better than what the Chiefs had to endure in Tampa Bay. Just like, uh, you know what? Let's just call it AFC NFC Championships. We both win. We, we drink some rum. We call it good instead of uh, what, what occurred. But sometimes you have to fall to learn to run. And, you know, we probably don't get Super Bowl 57 without 55. 100%. And God bless the broken road that led me straight to you, Super Bowl LVII. Um, all right, so moving forward, we've talked a little bit about these mock drafts. We talked about free agency. What's the path forward, Price? What's what do you think the Chiefs are going to do? What should they do? As far as the draft goes, current current state of the Chiefs roster. I think you probably go best player available except for wide receiver. I think you put an over-prioritization at wide receiver. You know, we talked about a potential move up for uh, uh, Quentin Johnson if he's fallen. I don't think you move – I think the only two players that you move for are probably in Jigba and Quentin Johnson as far as quality of player. I'm not moving a whole lot to go get, say, Flowers or Jordan Addison unless they – you know, if it's a slight thing or, hey, we want to get in front of this one team and we're moving up three spots, it's a little bit more palatable to go get their player – but other than that, I, I think they're in a position that they can go best player available. So maybe throw some numbers. You throw, you know, we've seen the Chiefs do this with corner in the past. Throw two or three players at the wide receiver position. You go get your high high floor player, and then you go get someone that's got the athletic traits, might be a little bit more of a project. The most concerning par- part about that plan is just that we know that the Chiefs don't get a lot out of first-year wide receivers. And Andy Reid doesn't particularly get a lot out of first-year wide receivers. But then again, they've never invested this high of a resource in them. So perhaps maybe that's part of it. And going back to those two players, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigmas run much closer to an NFL offense rather than Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison. 
for some of those other players. So that might be another reason that they'd be incentivized to go up and get their guy. A hundred percent. I agree with you. I think wide receiver is the, the greatest need right now, just because Patrick Mahomes is the greatest player to ever play football. And if you have the greatest player to ever play football, at any position, it's at the most important position in sports, then you give him as many bullets and weapons as possible. And you, and, and you always make sure that he's taken care of and he has the guys that he needs. That being said, who it is, I, you know that I got hard eyes for A.T. Perry Price. You know I got hard eyes. Everybody out there, um, I, I tweeted this out a little bit ago, but I'm going to implore you, if you got any questions about whether or not you think A.T. Perry is an NFL-ready wide receiver, go on to Twitter. Under Bootleg Football had an awesome interview with him at the East-West Shrine Bowl where he spends about 15 minutes breaking down game film and talking about root concepts and running and what he does on a daily basis to take care of his body and to train and to catch, catch passes, you know, away from his body and to increase his catch radius. I walked away from that interview doubling down. He's my number one wide receiver in this draft price. Hands down. I don't care what anybody says. His ceiling may not be the highest, but his floor is the highest and he will be a successful wide receiver in the NFL. Take that receipt to the bank. All right. Well, you're, you, you've got the tape. You've got the receipts. So we shall see, right? Why not just build the whole thing around A.T. Perry is, is Rocky's take. Well, I mean, that should be your entire draft strategy. Get A.T. Perry and then take care of the rest. Uh, yeah, Phil I, needs I, from there. I don't, I don't know what the Panthers are doing with C.J. Stroud. They've got the wrong toddler name, A.T. Perry. Truth of the matter is not a whole lot at this stage. I, I know that some fans are, are getting antsy. And that's understandable. There's only so much room against the cap. We're going to get into a bigger cap discussion again after the break. But let's start here. McCole Hardman, John, says goodbye to the Kansas City Chiefs. Hello to the New York Jets. What was your initial reaction to that? Well, I was a little surprised, but not a lot surprised. I mean, um, I know people had, you know, Hardman's been kind of an odd topic uh, for Chiefs fans ever since he was drafted because uh, he was largely seen as a guy to uh, back up Tyreek Hill uh, because he was drafted at the moment Hill was having all these off-the-field problems. And he never really established among fans an identity of his own. Maybe that's not fair. It might be that uh, we didn't cut him enough slack for the situation that he was in. Um, and I think that this is one of those cases we, we, we often talk about players here are worth more to the chiefs than they are to other teams. I think yeah. in this case, we're talking about a player who is worth more to other teams than he was to the chiefs. Uh, certainly true with regard to the fan base and maybe with regard to the, with the people running the team as well. And that's, this is the way it's played out. Yeah. I, I pulled up the contract that the New York jets gave him it. It states one year for four and a half million. I know that it, it can get up at as high as, as six and a half. That was reported by Ian Rappaport. The yeah. Jets did build in voidable years. So the cap hit for this year is one eight, two four for next year, and then six hundred thousand thereafter. I know that gets into the realm of, of dead cap. John, we've talked about this before. This is a strategy where other teams have, have done it, the, the voided years that don't mm-hmm. really count. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Kansas City has chosen generally not to. I can't even recall one, right? We can't we can't recall one where they build in voidable years or have they done it? 
We we had that for I think it was Alex Okafor had a void mm-hmm. year. Uh, oh, yeah, but, but it was very just, seldom. Right, right, yeah, yeah, and and we certainly haven't seen an example where they have put you know three or four void years at the end of the contract in order to spread out uh, a fairly large signing bonus, which is the way it's typically used by other teams. We haven't seen the Chiefs do that at all. It was just kind of like a a, a little aside thing on Okafor's contract. That's the only one I remember off the top of my head. I think that the general feeling I get when I see the deal and see the cap hit is that it probably would have been manageable for the chiefs, but Mm -hmm. I I think they, it's one of these hard things that they're never going to say out loud. Right. But you can read between the lines. I think they probably said to themselves, we're, we're not interested in in Hardman, or maybe they were interested in, in matching and Hardman wanted to go elsewhere to, to try to, continue to to build upon his career and have a different role I, I know that in a way you know if he wants to be one of those these true receivers a true number two receivers pigeonholed in a way in Kansas City I think Andy Reid had a very particular role for him in mind and, and maybe it just wasn't a match sometimes we don't get that in in the public press conferences you know I, I in, in a way it's very similar to Eric Bieniemy's situation yeah. he needed to find a place where he could uh, exist on his own uh, outside of the shadow of someone else, which has always been the case in San, and it would continue to be the case um, here in Kansas City because the other person isn't another wide receiver; it's Travis Kelsey. You know right. that's the problem that he's really facing is that Travis Kelsey is the star of the receiving core in Kansas City, so he needs to go someplace where that isn't the case in order to you know really have a, a, a legitimate shot to be the the team's main weapon. So in that respect, it's very much like Eric B. Enemy. And um, I think I, I think I wish you, him I well. think, yeah, I think you're right to an extent. And I more more for me in, in what you just said about the pass catchers around him here in Kansas City. And, and I guess in a way it is like B. Enemy. But it, to me, that that's a great point, because on several occasions when he was a member of the Chiefs, he looked this was the Zoom era. He looked the Zoom camera in the eye or he explained <laughs> via press conference and said, I'm behind Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I don't know what you guys want from me. And I think yeah. maybe to an extent he he did feel the the shadow. And I know a lot of times we're like, well, you know, you win a Super Bowl, you want to stay with that team. And I, I think that's only true if you have a significant role, because I think for some players, they say like a juju. And maybe we missed this in, in evaluating heading into the offseason, but maybe like a juju, they, they say to themselves, well, I got my ring. I'm going to get my money. Right. Yeah, or, right, right. You know, McColl says, I got two rings. Let me yeah. go finally try to get a thousand yards for once in my life, you know? And so maybe that that kind of played into it. But the money was so low that you, you just think for one reason or another, one side or another or both sides simply said, okay, there was mutual disinterest. And I, I think that's my my grand takeaway. And and McCall Hardman had a lot of nice things to say. I said thank you to Clark Clark Hunt, Coach Reed, the Chiefs organization. The, the Super Bowls, he thanked his teammates, Pat Travis, Chris Jones, uh, among others. So good luck to Nicole Hardman. It's uh, always a little bit tougher, I think, for fans to root for another player uh, or a former player that is staying in the AFC. It's always nice to see those guys go to the NFC, like in the in the case of Eric Bieniemy and the impending new ownership. But we'll, we'll see. And Nicole Hardman will have an opportunity to play the Chiefs. Chiefs visit New York. I, I for years, have thought we would get Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. I'm not. 
uh, something weird's going to happen where where they don't face off again. I, I just know. It. I don't know if we're yeah. going to get Zach Wilson, Patrick Mullins for that game, but yes, McCole Hardman <laughs> should be participating against Kansas City in New Jersey. Let's be very clear about that. Andy Reid uh, actually had some concrete words to say, more so about Sky Moore uh, and less about Odell Beckham Jr. in his interview catch up at the the spring meeting with Steve Weich. Here's what Reid said: We're expecting Sky Moore to step up. We'll just see how everything else works. We got the same guys coming back that we had, and we like that group with the exception of Juju. McCall was banged up a little bit, so he didn't have a chance to play as much as he would have wanted. We'll work out the thing without Juju. Somebody will have to step up and and take that spot. Asked specifically about Odell, who was spotted in Phoenix. Odell's a good football player. He does a nice job, so we'll see how that goes. Bar for the course for Andy Reid, not really (laughs) giving you too much on Odell. I maintain that I think the Chiefs, are interested in Odell, but it comes with the caveat, the asterisk at their price. Right. And the longer this thing goes, it, I just wonder if they're going to just get outbid because, you know, for better or for worse, this is what the Chiefs have established now. They ain't overpaying anymore for anybody. You know, once you trade Tyree Kill, you establish we have a price in mind, you know, whether that be as small as deal as McCole Hardman could have been 1.8 or whatever against the cat or as big as they wanted to give Tyreek Hill, which was right on the edge of the top of the market, not getting there quite quite the whole way. And they said, we're sticking to that, and you know, we'll move on if you're not. And so I think that's going to be the, the case with Odell. And I think the longer this goes, they, they may get outbid here. You know, We'll see about that. But one player we do know is going to be here, John, is, is Sky Moore. And Andy Reid saying the obvious, this is going to be a big year for Sky Moore, who suddenly has this grand opportunity you know, at this stage with a, a very slim wide receiver room for the Chiefs. Yeah, he you know, he hasn't really had a whole lot of snaps in the Chiefs offense uh, in his rookie season. So I think it may be a little unfair to put too much of a characterization on him based on that. And of course, he got dealt a pretty bad hand by having to do punt returns um, in, in a situation where he hadn't really done that before. So, and then he didn't do well and, you know, came to be a big problem for him and for Dave Tobe over the course of the 2022 season. So kind of an unfortunate set of circumstances for him, but I think that those snaps will be available in 2023 and we'll just have to see what he can do with that additional work. He certainly has, you know, in certain spots shown the ability to be a really good player. And uh, I think there's reason to be optimistic about it. Yeah, I I think he did flash. The releases off the line are are pretty impressive. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I go back to to this point when you look into this season, and you know I understand where you have a lot of unproven guys. You know when you look at the wide receiver room right now, it's Marquez Valdez Scantling. You have Kadarius Tony, and then you have Sky Moore, and I I you know just think about last year, and I'm trying to put myself in the the mindset of what were we thinking going into the season? Man, it was the same thing. It was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Nicole Hardman, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Smith-Schuster coming off that injury-filled year, the only time he had really had an outstanding season. He was the number two receiver across from Antonio Brown. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had come here wanting a bigger role than he had in Green Bay, where he was looked at as this guy who could only extend the field. And then McCole Hardman, I, I think, was finally looking at it as a, a year where he could come out of the woodwork. I mean, isn't that same type of thing for Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Like, you look at Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony is probably more of a fit for the Juju role, where he 
is injured his whole year, his whole career. He finally wants to put together this healthy year where he can stand out. The Chiefs see him as a number one wide receiver. And then you have Sky Moore, who in a way is in that Hardman role where he was waiting for it to open <laughs> up a little bit for him. And it's just three unproven guys. It's it's a very similar thing. I, I guess if you want to say Smith Schuster is a bigger name because he did have the the thousand yard season, fourteen hundred yard season next to Antonio Brown. Yes, he he had certainly done it before, but it's it's the same theme to me in a way. And I, I think they will add another receiver here. So it it's a little bit of a let's breathe a little bit. And I think by the time this gets to training camp, it's gonna have a very similar feeling to last year heading into it. But there will be another player or two in that mix. Yeah. I don't think I don't think this is, you know, I don't think we've come to the end of the road. Um, I think there's a good chance Justin Watson could come yeah, where's back. Where's my guy Watson? Why is he not signed yeah. yet? Let's get I, him I think back on board. Well, I think they want to see what is what else is out there before they finally add him because they can always sign him. I don't think there's going to be a big clamoring to get Justin Watson on uh. another team, so they can afford to wait and see if there's you know a better way that they can go. They can always sign him later. And there's, you know, people talk about, oh, there's no wide receivers left. No, there's about 20 guys on the market who could uh, do a job for the Chiefs and maybe do pretty well for the Chiefs. It's just that they aren't big names that are going to get people excited. And um, the very people like Justin Watson last year, you yeah. know, this was a guy who uh, had only been a special teams player in Tampa Bay. And it was like, when he was signed, people were most like, who, huh? Mm. What? You know? And then he turned out to be not a fantastic wide receiver, but he came up with some good plays and some key moments, which is just the kind of thing you want to see from that kind of player. I had been interested in, in DJ shark. And I was optimistic about maybe what the chiefs could get him for. And he ends up going to the Carolina Panthers on a one year, $5 million deal mm -hmm. that had, yeah. That had built-in voidable years to it as well, right? I mean, I, th I think that is something worth exploring, like why the Chiefs are so averse to to doing these voidable year deals. Because you look at the cap hit for Shark, for example, it goes to the Panthers, 1.8 for this year, according to SpotRack, 3.1 for next year. But again, I, you know, and this goes into it, right? We're looking for the obvious. I would love to do it in more detail. But, you know, now you are having 3.1 against your 2024 cap with no player to show for it because it's right. an avoidable year. So that that's kind of, you know, what goes into it. Uh, Andy Reid also in that same interview, John, he said that Patrick Mahomes ankle is fine. I've had a couple of people here and there asking about Mahomes' ankle when people want to talk chiefs in person, whether it be friends or friends of friends and, and whatnot. And I'm like, I don't know what everyone's, maybe they're getting confused with turf though. You don't need a surgery, typically speaking, right, for a high ankle sprain. He did have the corrective surgery for the turf toe, and so I think there was a lingering feeling that maybe he would have to have some kind of surgery and be limited this offseason, but I think it's just simple rehab. Like, that's a, a big-time time thing, so I don't think he dove right into what would be his usual offseason, but by the time the OTAs and those type of things start, John, I, I tend to think he's going to be 100% fully ready to, to go with this particular injury. Well, I 100% agree that he'll be 100% ready. I mean, you know, you're right. This isn't something that's going to require surgery. It's just going to require him not playing football for a little while, which isn't an option during the season. <laughs> when he has an ankle sprain, he's got to continue right. to play. Especially during else, the NFL you know, playoffs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think there's I think a misconception, too. To 
I think people forget that he had it the whole playoffs. I think people thought it was in the AFC title game, but this is actually something that he dealt with in against Jacksonville. It happened very early in the Chiefs mm-hmm. playoffs, yeah. and then he had to to deal with it. So you're not there was no improvement of the ankle. It was more managing, and then that clock, you know, whether it be six to eight weeks, starts probably after the Super Bowl. So you know, we're about there now. You know, at this stage, I think I think he'll he'll be ready to do camp. Pat, I I got to imagine this is a repeat of camp. Pat coming up here in in April I, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, they try to do as much as possible where they can, um, you know, just repeat exactly what they did the previous year. And so I, I tend to think that's upcoming, and I I think uh, he'll he'll be good to go. I meant to put this in the rundown, and I I clearly forgot, John. But uh, Patrick Mahomes Uh-oh. took exception to the Roger Goodell. Oh, um, decision. <laughs> this was late yesterday, wrote it up for us this morning. Uh, the NFL decided at these owners meetings this week in Phoenix to allow teams to have more than one Thursday night football game. I've seen different headlines and, and whatnot that they could have up to three if it ends up being flexible, but certainly more than one. And Patrick Mahomes with the emoji seen around the NFL world hits Roger Goodell, the commish with the facepalm emoji, which is never a good sign. If if you're in a relationship and you get the the facepalm emoji, you are not in for a good day. Uh, so that is as damning as it comes when it comes to emojis. And Roger Goodell, uh, and this is a, a sign at the Times, right? He felt the need after he's questioned about it to respond to the emoji of the number one player in the game saying, I don't think we're putting Amazon, which owns the rights to, to Thursday Night Football, uh, over our players, the data doesn't show a higher injury rate. I hear from players who also love the 10 days after a Thursday night game. We have to try to balance all of it. Uh, unfortunately for Mahomes, and I, I think he does truly possess a lot of say in the Chiefs organization and the NFL, this is a money thing, and it's money and business over anything and everything in, in this league. I could see the NFL curbing this flex idea where suddenly in 15 days time you're going to be on short rest with no previous notice Uh, but i but them going back on these big time teams premier teams like the teams with stars in cincinnati and and kansas city like these big time teams that have the big markets like uh, philadelphia new york um, california i think you're going to see them booked ahead of time for the the two thursday night games I, i think that's very real and not coming back john Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we're going to have flex scheduling for Monday night football this year, which has not been the case in previous years. And it may be that the correct way to handle this is to do the flex scheduling for Sunday night and Monday night, but not do it on Thursday night Mm -hmm. so that, uh, you know, you'd still have the ability to move those big games around. That means that they're going to have to concentrate getting more good matchups up front in the Thursday night games. And so I think that's why they have decided to change the rules about how many times a team can be in there. I was just looking for it. I had a, well, I saw something, I saw a quote about that. Here it is. This is the NFL, uh, media and business officer Brian Rolap, who said this uh, yesterday, we want to make sure that teams competitively play their way into prime time. Well, now that says to me, they're saying we want to get good teams in the Thursday night games. 
And so without uh, the flex, they're going to have to do it up front somehow. Flex. I, I wrote this last week, but flexing the Chiefs into Thursday night football and any team, right, is 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 mm-hmm. bad for health and safety. But it's a competitive disadvantage to the teams that have, have built better rosters because suddenly they're playing on two Thursday nights. You know, they find out two weeks ahead of time, hey, by the way, it's going to be short rest. Uh, and yes, I know that leads into a, a bigger break, which is what Roger Goodell was was referencing. But why should the best teams in the league have to play on short rest twice, especially when it's so random whether or not that game is on the road? People don't realize how much of a, a big disadvantage and even a boosted disadvantage it is when the team right. is traveling because you're, you're right. losing prep time as well. So mm-hmm. I was... Again, that, that this was my take on it. This was before the the face palm scene scene around the NFL world. That I was not in favor of this, especially in Kansas City, because it, it just it wouldn't be fair. And now you're you're having a Chiefs team. Um, remember, remember the days when we used to beg for the Kansas City Chiefs to be on prime time. <laughs> you have a Chiefs team that's certainly going to be booked for five, which is the pre booking max, and then now they can have potential to be flexed into two more and whether that be Monday night, you're, you know, you have days changing, not to mention the nightmare that it is for the travel secretary of all these teams. You're booking hotels for five day blocks for a hundred people. It, it, the NFL is not <laughs> in this particular situation. And I guess there's a lot of particular situations. The NFL is not thinking about anything but the bottom line and making sure that Amazon feels like paying $1 billion for Thursday night football was worth it per year. Um, and we'll we'll see how it plays out. I, I do think the flex to Thursday is going to have too much pushback. But this idea of the pre-scheduling of a team for multiple Thursday night games is, is going to be there. And this is already a Kansas City Chiefs team who is expected to go to Germany. So if you thought the schedule was getting easier, uh, this will be a, a tough road, yeah. both team-wise and logistically heading into um, what would be 2023. John, Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey are doing a show in Kansas City the Wednesday night before the NFL draft, uh, New Heights Live, and they are excited about this. I'm looking into seeing if if we could cover this for Arrowhead Pride. I've been, I've been talking to them. I'm, not that they need any publicity at this stage. They are one <laughs> of the top podcasts Yeah, uh, really uh, across podcasts in general. If you go even just to the top I believe they're in the top 50 if you just go to just podcasts. It's even more so than, and then certainly at the top of, of football. In the last New Heights, Travis Kelsey had some interesting words when it came to Orlando Brown Jr., who, of course, went to the Cincinnati Bengals after talks failed with the Chiefs. Uh, this is what Travis said. It, it hurts my soul. It's like watching your best friend turn evil on you. The past two years, we've been struggling to beat the Bengals, so there's been a lot of build-up emotion. And I would say not necessarily hate, but he dislikes the Bengals because they kept beating us and talking about it every time. So it's like, man, to see you go to the dark side, it's an awkward feeling. And then Travis went on to say, he hopes OBJ has a hall of fame career, which nothing for the, the, the best. And they got great, great memories, but, and, and this is how he put it, John, this rivalry is on and popping at yeah. this stage. So some, some true words, I think some honest words from Travis Kelsey. And as you know, this is what I always say. The more WWE, the better. So I hope he doubles down <laughs> the week they play the Bengals and we get more of this talk as as OBJ starts to 
starts a new chapter uh, with with the Cincinnati Bengals trying to to knock the Chiefs off in the playoffs. I have I one quick defensive tackle place. that I don't think fits super well. Adebore, the kid from Northwestern. I I just don't think he's a yeah. defensive tackle. Like I, I watched him again yesterday, and I was like telling you guys this. I just don't know what he is um, because I don't think he's bendy enough to be an edge. Um, unless he drops a bunch of weight, which you know maybe he can, but I don't know. And like he is long for a defensive tackle, but he's still like six foot. He doesn't have a lot of you know weight to him. I'm not sure he's going to be a disruptive interior pass rusher like everyone thinks he is. I don't, I don't love the fit on. I, I've seen a lot of mocks with him going to the Chiefs now, and I just don't know how you get him and right. Chris Jones on the field together. I, I don't know. I to me, Adebori fits more of like a new England defensive line where they're like a little more exotic. Like I think you have to have like a very specific role for him. Like honestly, like the chargers with like Brandon Staley would be make yeah. a ton of sense for him. But considering the chiefs are pretty rigid with what they do up front, I don't know where you stick at a bar. So I, I know Kansas city kid. I know he tested great. I, yeah. I like some of the traits, but I don't know where he would fit with the chiefs. That, that would, that would be, I would be interested to see what like Steve Spagnuolo's plan would be for him. I f- wouldn't it, don't you think he'd just try to fit him or throw him out on the edge or though? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think know. so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so too. And that's just when you're, when you're moving someone, you know, to a different position or just, you know, that's just not worth, you know, a certain value of pick and he's going to be going in the first round. So that's where it seems like it, at least, I don't know, maybe, maybe he won't, maybe it's all draft type. Um, I want to, I want to get your take on this last defensive tackle though. Uh, Cause I, I put Dante Stills. He was someone I watched um, and wrote up. I think you liked him uh, quite a bit. Um, I just don't know if he would fit uh, as a defensive tackle with the Chiefs. I do think he I would agree. have to maybe be a defensive end in that similar mold. And you know, hey, as a day three pick, I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it at all because um, he does, he does know what he's doing. He has, you know, he's experienced. Um, he 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 racked up a lot of stats in college because you know he's a disruptor. He's all over the line, um, but. He's not the most explosive guy, um, and then and, and so as a defensive tackle, I don't know if I'd see him fitting in as a three tech or or whatnot. Do you disagree with that at all? No, I, I agree for the most part. Um, I, I think it's you know we probably can transition out to offensive tackle. Um, I think the best name we had or I had down Jalen Duncan just makes so much sense. I think he's an Andy Reid tackle. Um, the quickness, oh, yeah. he's played both right and left. Um, it seems like his stock's fallen, um, which I find a little bit surprising. Bit. I, I, I don't know why. Did, did he test? I don't think he tested at the combine, or he at least he didn't test poorly. Um, I, I guess don't think that so. I don't remember him testing. Um, I there's a lot of work he still have to do with him, but I would feel pretty confident with him and with uh, Andy Heck and the Chiefs because he, of all the tackles in this class, he has the quickest feet. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe not Darnell Wright. I probably would put above him. Yeah, that's probably but true. He, he at least has an argument, and I, I really like him. I watched him again last weekend. I was like, this. I think he's good. I, he has work to do, but I, he would be a guy at the end of round one. I would totally understand why the Chiefs took him. He's definitely like the most exciting offensive tackle prospect outside of like the round one, right? Like uh, hub. Because I agree with you. I think he's definitely someone you get into the right coaching staff, the right offensive line, uh, you know, coaching staff, you know, if it, if it's like the Eagles or, or the chiefs, obviously. Yeah. I, I do think you can work on that. Yeah. You know, Hey, it, it, he's probably going to be someone you have some lumps with if you do want to start him right away. Um, I, I just think that's one thing that, that maybe when I was watching him, the Ohio state game towards the end, man, he really started to just, he right. really started to just give it up and it was a really bad look. 
But again, you're right, man. The, the footwork is there. It's almost like he doesn't trust his footwork. It's almost like he's mm-hmm. not getting deep enough in his pass set. And it's like he's almost too passive in his pass set. He needs to be kind of more aggressive on just getting out there or getting back there and uh, kind of deep setting. Um, just because it seems like sometimes he does get beat around the edge. And it's like, how do you get beat around the edge when you can move as well as, you know, any offensive tackle pretty much in this class? So, yeah, I'm, 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 I like that. Is there any bad fits for you? Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle for BYU. <laughs> Enough. Stop, like, stop. I don't want to – if your first line for why Blake Freeland will become a chief is that Andy Reid went to BYU, that's ridiculous. The dudes, he's old. He's way worse than Brady Christensen was when he came out as offensive tackle. I know he tested great RAS, but he's like 300 pounds at six foot eight. That's really small. Like, he yeah. should test very well for a guy that small. Turn on the film. He doesn't move that well. He can't open his hips – um i'm like i'm tired of hearing this i know i understand why people say this but also like how many andy reed byu players have there been like dan Sorensen, zane anderson like those guys were udfas it is definitely like, I'm tired of hearing <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of hearing about this and if i like i'm sorry i don't like seeing mocks with blake freeland going like 63 to the chiefs he's not an offensive tackle like he's not an nfl player i'm sorry i i appreciate you coming on the pod and and, and saying that it, it needed to be said it needed to be said <laughs> So I like that. Um, I have a few worse fits that aren't even because I don't like them as players, but like Matthew Bergeron, the Syracuse offensive tackle. I just think he's he's short limbed and kind of just a little too stocky. I, he, I, I see some people say he's going to be a guard. I think he is going to be a tackle in the league, but I don't know if uh, if, if the Chiefs are, are the right place for him. I think he may need, you know, just somewhere where they're not as pass dependent, um, you know, not someone that's going to be on an island all that much. But I do like him. I, I think he he has good 2021 tape. Um, I don't think I've seen any 2022 tape, honestly, but I liked him so much in 2021. And then Cody Malk, uh, the North Dakota State dude. Um, hey, I, I do think he's going to be a, a player that develops into – it seems like he's got he's got the right, uh, you know, uh, play style, I guess, as a, as a right tackle maybe in the league um, in terms of, you know, he's that former tight end. He's got the movement skills, but – we need some pass setters in Kansas city. So I, I, I would not necessarily want to see him be drafted to the, the chiefs. You have any disagreements on those or do you, you want to go ahead to go running backs? Uh, let's go into running backs. Cause I have mock for a superlative later. So I, I'm going to save it for then. Nice. Well, running backs. I mean, I'll, I'll start real quick because I, some of my favorite guys in this draft, the more I think about it are Ty J Spears and Eric Gray and Kenny McIntosh. All three of those guys, I feel like really do fit, you know, in terms of getting a pass down back in Kansas city, you know, will someone to compliment uh, Isaiah Pacheco on the early downs, be that downhill runner. I think all these guys offer you, you know, a good ability in, in open space, you know, being able to make, make guys miss to an extent. Um, I know you actually reviewed McIntosh for us on the AP film room. And obviously, you know, you were pointing out how good of a pass protector is. I think that's that's obviously a huge part of being a good fit um, this draft class. So Tajay Spears, the two lane guy, I, I just think I don't know. I, I really like him. I think he's mm-hmm. uh, I know he's got the ACLs and I think that's going to really drive down his stock. But that you know could make him a better value. So any good fits for you? Any bad fits? Uh, I, ha- I struggle with best fits because a lot of them fit. The two guys I had done for worst fits, and it's not that they're bad players, but Zach Charbonnet and Chris Rodriguez, just not yep. the right scheme for the Chiefs. Um, they I don't really Charbonnet add a lot. Down, of, yeah. yeah, I like them. I think they can be good players, but just not in Kansas City. Um, I don't think they can really run out of shotgun. I think that'd be a bit of a problem. I don't think they had a lot in the receiving game. Um, they need to go to a place like Tennessee or like Baltimore, somewhere that's a little more under center where they can kind of just run downhill. Um, I like the players, but yeah, I, I don't think they're cheese fits. And I would say the same about uh, a couple other guys. I said Izzy Abba Nakanda. I probably didn't say that right, but the pit running back, I think he's gaining a lot of steam. 
But in terms of being in Kansas City, I just think he's a very similar player to Isaiah Pacheco. And same with Dwayne McBride from UAB. He is a very fun player to watch. Tons of highlights, but literally no receiving ability, or I should say experience in his college tape. He had like five career catches. <laughs> um, just a very just a very straight running back, handoff running back. So those kind of guys, hey, you know, watch them succeed somewhere else. They're not going to be, or you, you know, I, I hope they're not in Kansas City. Uh, safeties. I know you got, you know, maybe a, a few good, you know, you've been looking at safeties recently. What do you got? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I won't talk much about this. If you want more information, go to the AP Film Room. Jartavius Martin uh, yes. was the one safety in his class that tested well. If you want more kind of thoughts and film on him, go to check that out. The other guy I had written down was Jair Brown, the safety from Penn State. I know he didn't test great. But he was someone that did a lot for Penn State's defense. They'd rotate him to single high. They'd rotate him down to the box. They'd blitz him a little bit. Uh, one hallmark for the Chiefs for safeties is versatility, and Jair Brown provides that. The worst fits I had were Ronnie Hickman, the safety from Ohio State. Not a bad player, very box specific. He can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going to play deep or anything like that. And the other guy I'd written down, Sidney Brown. We talked about him in the AP film room too, but he's a very specific safety. I'm not sure he's really a deep safety in the NFL. And he's 5'9", like 210. I don't know if he can really hold up in the box. So it, his kind of role to me in the NFL will be like as a dime safety covering tight ends. And I think that's a little bit too specific for what the Chiefs want those safeties. When you're looking at safeties for the Chiefs, one thing I would say is like they need to have be able to do multiple things. They right. typically don't like guys who can just do one specific role because it kind of limits your calls on what you can do defensively. So. To me, the two guys in this class that stick out as guys who can do a little bit of everything are Jortavius Martin and Jair Brown. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think that makes sense to me. Tight ends, um, you know, we have a few guys that, you know, I, I think are just bad fits just because of who the Chiefs have on the roster. It's Travis Kelsey. And so if you got if you do draft a guy like Dalton Kincaid or Luke Musgrave or Will Mallory, the Miami tight end. I just think these are all guys that aren't going to give you much blocking ability and are going to be receiving, you know, receiver onlys and hey you you have a travis kelsey you kind of need someone to compliment him and you got you do have guys like you know jody forces on the roster that can do some of the 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 lone receiving work as that second tight end you know we've seen him succeed so i really don't want them to attack this tight end class with with guys like that in my opinion i know dalton kincaid and luke musgrave are big names but i have some good fits do you have any bad good fits for tight end um, the one tight end fit I had written down, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but, uh, Luke, Sco- uh, Luke Schoomaker from yep. Michigan. I think that makes sense. The one worst one I had was Darnell Washington. I just don't think Andy Reed has use for, I don't want to say use. I don't think he's going to build his offense around a big Y tight end like Darnell Washington. I just don't think he would utilize what he does best, which is run blocking and ability down the seams. I, I know the chiefs transitioned to more 12 personnel last year. But it's the Chiefs' 12 and 13 personnel is different than what Darnell Washington would need to be in the NFL. So for me, like, I know he tested really well, and he did drop a bunch of weight. So maybe he'll be able to add more as a receiver in the NFL. But I don't quite see where the Chiefs would find, like, the best use out of him. Yeah, so you're – yeah, I, I, I get that. Luke Schoonmaker was definitely one of my best fits. I, I definitely think he's he's someone that – even if, yeah, I think right away he comes in and can be your second tight end, but he also could develop and be your main tight end um, eventually. I, I, I think he's got that kind of ability. Last but not least, let's let's talk about corners. You have, I, I you, you know, corners is one of those where, you know, I, I do think the Chiefs have that fit that we all know, uh, you know, over the years, Spags, you know, the longer, you know, being able to uh, press, uh, you know, maybe not have the the speed, but, you know, they they 
drafted Trent McDuffie last year, and that kind of changes maybe our thought process a little bit. So I don't know. Corners may be one of those that it's just, you know, eye of the beholder. But do you have any best, worst fits? So I have two names for best fits. I'm like, I know McDuffie was smaller, but McDuffie plays so much bigger than what he was. He's kind of an anomaly. So for best fits, I have Kaylee Ringo, the cornerback mm-hmm. from Georgia. I think people are overthinking him. I know there's talks about him being stiff. He wasn't allowed to jam at Georgia. That's just not what they do. He had to try and like match wide receivers uh, at the line of scrimmage. And I don't think he's stiff as much as I just think he's really like strong and like big. And he's a guy that has a ton of like build up speed. To me, that's a guy who can jam. Like I want him jamming receivers the line of scrimmage, being able to turn and run with him. If I think once he does that in the NFL, he's going to look significantly better. So that's someone I think people are just overthinking. The other one I'd written down, Kansas State fans will like uh, Julius Brents, the cornerback from Kansas State, um, transfer from Iowa. Uh, long has. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay, so yeah. you have experience with this guy. Okay. Yeah, no, he he was someone that started a little bit Iowa, transferred to Kansas State. Um, obviously very long, tested very well at the combine. Um, tape is pretty solid. I, I still I think he has a little more room to grow. Um, but I th- I do think that's someone that would fit the Chiefs profile of what they generate from corners. As for my worst fits, I as much as I love these two players, Emmanuel Forbes and DJ Turner, they're just it's not the right fit for the Chiefs. They're they're not they're just not big enough. Like, I, I absolutely love Emmanuel Forbes, but the dude can't press. He's like 165 pounds. Um, I just don't think this type of scheme is the best for him. So as much as it pains me to say, because I really do enjoy those two players, I don't think they'd fit what Kansas City is looking for. I know. I, I was wondering if you would go there, if you were going to if mm-hmm. you were gonna put your boy down there. But, yeah, I, I had him down, too. It's just, you know, you at some point, you're 160 pounds. I mean, what are we doing? Right. Um, but hey, he, that's the thing. He could find the right system and he could be a good player because you're right. There are some flashes there. I had Julius Brents down as my number one fit too. I, I, you know, if the Chiefs didn't have, you know, uh, a certain kind of uh, depth at cornerback right now, which again, I, I think I think they could absolutely attack corners. So I'm not saying they're not, uh, they wouldn't draft it, but if they kind of need a corner a little more, I feel like I would, I'd, I'd be riding the train so hard for Julius Brents. And I probably will be as we get closer to the draft. Um, I haven't dug into the cornerback class as a whole too hard, so... But he's definitely one that I, I've seen and, and know he's going to be a good fit if he were to be in Kansas City. So Kaylee Ringo was also a good fit. I had him too. Um, so, yeah, those are the best worst fits for the Chiefs by certain positions. Hopefully you guys learned something about some of these prospects.